Thank you. And good evening, lovely people. And it is lush, as always, uh, to be here. And thank you, Serene, as well, for that fabulous reading. And we are indeed continuing the saga of Joseph. And if you were new to the party, welcome. Um, you may know the story already. Um, but today is almost like the beginning of a new act in that story. In some ways, we could have finished it beautifully last week, because last week was Joseph's redemption. Joseph had been through the doldrums. He'd been in prison, of course. He'd been betrayed by his brothers. He'd been elevated by, by Pharaoh. And then he was made to be second in the land only to Pharaoh. That is a brilliant way to finish a tale. And if this was a fairy tale, that is exactly where the moment would stop. But this isn't Disney, this is the Bible, and there are still untold stories left to go. And now the shift moves from Joseph, who's having a great time there in Egypt doing some good work, back to the land of Canaan, where the brothers are. And the brothers are having something of a torrid time of it. It has quite literally been years since they got rid of Joseph, years since they bumped him off and they'd been on their own particular journey in that time as well and in that time they'd been hit with the same famine that had hit the people of Egypt the whole of that area the whole region had been devastated and they were very much on their downers and as we begin this reading today they are the weak ones it's so strange how things change and how twists happen. Not that long ago, it was Joseph, now it's them. And I know for me, reading through this week, I was reminded of one of my favourite sayings, one day you're the cock of the walk, the next you're a feather duster. Because just a few years ago, these guys were living the dream. They had bumped off Joseph, they didn't like him very much, and they went back to having a good time. Joseph, on the other hand, of course, was going through a bad time, now he was on top, now they were below. What makes the story so amazing is that it can, in its own way, replicate life. Though this is a story written thousands of years ago, it is a story about people. And as it's about people, it is something that we can relate to. Yes, very few of us would have sold one of our younger siblings into slavery, perhaps. However, we don't dislike to have sibling rivalries. Very few of us might have been imprisoned for a crime we haven't committed, but we know what injustice feels like. Very few of us would be elevated to be the second in the land, but we know what it's like to have a high. We know what life is like to have highs, and we know what life is like to have lows. And so, this story is just so relatable to us, and it speaks to us as well. But for this week, we're going to kind of ignore Joseph a little bit, though acknowledge he's there, and put our sandals into the brother's shoes for a little bit, and look at them. Look at them and what they are going through. And when I was reading this story this week, it occurred to me that they were really having a bad time, not just with the famine, but the action that they had to take. And it occurred to me that they had to do three difficult, hard things in order 
to work their way back to redemption in order to put things right. Three things that we ourselves at some point in our life and in our Christian journey ought to do as well. Three very difficult things. The first thing was give adoration. They had to go to Egypt, travel there, and then bow down to what they believed to be a foreigner. They had to go see this man, and as the reading said, quite literally bow their heads to the ground because they were begging for food. Now, let's put this into a little bit more context. These were some lads from the valleys. These were proper, solid Canaanites. These were the descendants of Abraham. These were the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel. These were the men through whom a great nation would be birthed. These were an aristocratic family. These were a phenomenal family. This was a family that had land, that had servants, that had it all. And here they were, having to face up to a foreigner and bow down before him. They had to give adoration to somebody else. And they had to give adoration because they couldn't sort their problems out in their own strength. Now, when we came here today to worship, after we had some tea, coffee, and donuts, what we did was worship the Lord. We gave our adoration to him. We worshipped him. We declared that he is greater than us. We declared the power of his name. And it's a beautiful thing to do. And it's one of the main reasons why we come, to worship the Lord as we sing our praises to him. But for some of us, it's not a very easy thing to do. In fact, in order to humble ourselves and give adoration to somebody else, it's difficult, even to God himself. Before I was a vicar and I was working, when I was a much younger man, I used to have one of those Christian bands on that said, Frog, fully reliant on God. And I wore it to work one day, and the guy I was shared an office with, it's a very good friend of mine, said, what does that mean? So I said, here we go, this is why I'm wearing it for the conversation starter. Well, it means fully reliant on God. And instantly he said, I don't like that. Now, lunchtime, that led into an office discussion on this particular band, and the concept of being fully reliant on God. And the huge debate broke that kind of got a little bit out of hand on whether or not you should be fully reliant on God. Because the argument that was put to me was, you should not be like that. That takes away responsibility. You should believe in yourself and back yourself. Back the individual and not God. Believe in God? Yes. Try and please God? Yes. But bow down so much that you can acknowledge you were reliant on him? No. You shouldn't do that. And in some ways... That is very much the spirit of the age that we live in. The age of the individual, the age of individual power, the age of saying you're great, the age of saying do not acknowledge the greatness of anyone else, not even God. That is the world where we live in now, where everyone is encouraged to see themselves as great and impactful. And of course, in one sense, that's absolutely right. Every single one of us is gifted. Every single one of us created by God to be special but we also acknowledge that it comes from him 
we acknowledge that everything that is good, everything we have comes from him. All things come of him and of thy own do we give him. We give our adoration to God and we give our adoration to God. No matter how high we get in this earth, no matter what wonders we do, we give it all back to God. Now, I don't know how many of you watched the Queen's funeral just a few weeks ago. We watched it here, and it was actually a really beautiful occasion. But I think for me, the bit that got me the most was just before she was buried, and they took the crown off and laid it at the altar. That moment of acknowledging that even the Queen, even the monarch, the greatest in the land, bows down towards God giving back to God the power, the authority that had been given on earth, that concept of laying it all down. And it reminded me of a hymn that we actually sing in funerals quite a lot, the old rugged cross, which so many people hate, actually, but it's got a beautiful line in it that says, until my trophies at last I lay down. No matter how great we are on earth, no matter what we achieve, no matter how hard we soar, we will never be able to look God in the eye in the same way that the Lord looks at us with love. The brothers had to bow down before Joseph and it was humiliating for them. They did it out of desperation. The Lord doesn't force us to bow down before him. He calls us to bow down before him. He says, come and bow before me and see the benefits. We don't worship the Lord because the Lord needs to be worshipped by us. We worship the Lord because of the blessing that comes by, by worshipping him. When we bow down in adoration, when we give him the glory, we feel his glory upon us. We feel that wonderful sense of his spirit fall upon us. We feel the reassurance and the power and the touch and the love that comes through him. We feel the goodness of him come upon us. This isn't human adoration. This isn't looking at a hero. This isn't looking at a cult figure. This is looking at God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who flung the stars into space, the one through whom all things were made and the one who knows us intimately. The God who is so powerful and awesome, yet loves every element to us. We bow down in adoration to him. For so many, it is a difficult concept to get our heads around, and especially in this modern world. But the blessing that comes when we do it is absolutely phenomenal. The brothers had to bow down before Joseph. And Joseph, bless him, went along with it. He recognised who they were, and if it was me, I would have said, oh, come for me of you, but he stuck with it. Joseph didn't blow his cover there and then. But we know that they weren't just doing it for fun. They were doing it because they needed help. And that is the second difficult thing they had to do. They had to acknowledge that they needed help. And for every one of us at times, 
That is a really hard thing to do. Acknowledge we need help. When I was a kid, um, I used to have my parents go to parents' evening all the time, and the teachers used to say constantly, Kyrion, full name, Kyrion would do really well if he'd only ask for help. And I never asked for help at all because I always thought I could sort stuff out on my own. And I'll be honest with you, that is probably a weakness that has carried me in my two score and two up to this point. I've always been of the belief that I can sort it out on my own. I can do whatever I need to do and I'll come to it. In fact, I'm not the person who asks for help. I'm the person who gives help. I'm a vicar. I'm like the ultimate job in giving help to people. That's what I feel like I should do, help people as much as I can. But of course, that's all nonsense. All of us need help at some point in our lives. All of us need to go to somebody else to seek help. And just as these brothers came to Joseph looking for help after their desperation, so we can approach the throne of God at any time and look for the help that we need from him. The problem is, is even though we know that in theory, in practice, it can be a hard thing to do. And it can be a hard thing to do because it makes us acknowledge that we are vulnerable. Why was it so hard for these brothers to ask for help? It was hard because they were strong people. These were people, again, who gave the help normally. These were the people who others would come to and say, can you help us with our farmland? These were the big, strong lads of Canaan. They were reduced for asking for help. Asking for help can make us feel incredibly vulnerable at times, even asking for help from God. Quite a few years ago now, I had to go for dinner. Well, I say I had to go for dinner. I didn't have to go for dinner. I had nothing else to do. So me and my mum went for dinner at a Christmas businessman's event. What I was doing there, I don't know, because I was only one of those things, and it wasn't a businessman. But anyway, we went along for dinner, and there was this wonderful guy there who was a speaker, and he was a missionary. And he was praying and saying, that, does anybody here need some help? I would love to pray for people. I'm sat there going, no. Now, what no one else knew other than my mom was, I really did need help. At that particular moment for the last few weeks, I've been suffering with palpitations in my heart. I think my heart was going like 145 beats a minute constantly. I was on some pills that were sending me a little bit. Woo-hoo. Anyway, I needed help. But of course, I wasn't going to say I needed help. When this guy said, can I pray for somebody? I was like, yeah, no, I'll be for somebody else. Pray for them. I'm all right. I was really struggling, but hiding it well. So anyway, this guy was preaching, and then he started praying. And he said, I think that there's somebody in you who's having some kind of heart palpitation or something. Their heart is banging really quickly. And I'm looking around them going, I wonder who that is. <laughs> Can't be me, can it? And then my mother basically goes, go on, go on. And I'm like, yeah, no, it can't be me. It's got to be somebody else. That old guy over there is looking a bit dodgy. Can't be me, can it? <laughs> so anyway, reluctantly, I go up, head down, sneaking, hoping no one can see me. And it goes, my heart's going a little bit fast. Can you pray for me, please? And the guy just went, of course I can. And he prayed for me. And almost straight away, I felt better. Within a few days, actually, everything had calmed down. But when I went up to be prayed for, 
I said those usual words of thank you. Thank you for praying for me. And he said something that will stay with me forever. The anointing and the healing began when you got up. When you got up and you acknowledged you needed help. When you got up and acknowledged you were vulnerable. When you got up and you said, yes, that's me. That's when it began. Not when the prayer began, but then. That step going forward to say, I need help, is vital. And all of us need help. Individuals need help. As a church, we need help. We need help constantly, and we need help from each other, but we need help from God as well. We need to be willing at any time to go to God and say, I need your help, Lord. Come and bless me. Taking it to the New Testament for a moment, one of my favorite parables, which perhaps you know or will know very well, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And of course, that parable is famous for having somebody who is willing to give help, the Samaritan willing to help the Jew. And throughout the centuries, we've remembered that helpful Samaritan. But what we should remember just as much was the Jew who was willing to accept the help. Because Samaritans and Jews didn't get on. For the Samaritan to help the Jew was one thing, but for the Jew to accept it, that was something else. Help is a two-way street. It is about giving. It is about receiving. And sometimes we will need to give. And sometimes we will need to receive. No matter how strong we are in this world, no matter how much success we get, no matter how much status we get, all of us at times will need to go to the Lord for help. We'll need to go to the Lord's people for help. This was the point that Joseph's brothers needed that help. And it was the needing that help that eventually would lead to the path of redemption. Which takes us neatly on to the third difficult thing they had to do. And that was face up to the actions of the past. Years ago, they had bumped Joseph off. Years ago, they had deemed it necessary to get rid of him. Years ago, they thought they'd succeeded in doing all of that. And now it was all beginning to come back and haunt them. We don't know why there was a famine throughout the whole region of that era. What's fascinating is Reuben, the brother who wasn't part of the original scheme, saying, this is because of what happened years ago. We're in this pickle because we are sinners. They had to acknowledge that they were in the wrong. It took a crisis for them to get there, but they acknowledged and began acknowledging that they were sinners. And that is something that each and every one of us, at some point in our lives, needs to do as well. Acknowledge that we are sinners. Acknowledge that we do wrong. And that can be a painful thing to do. You know, there's really two ways that we can acknowledge it. The first is, if you like, the obvious way, I bump my car into Colin or try and run him over and I go, sorry, Colin. And he goes, that's all right. You got that way. (laughs) 
We'll try that later. That should be a laugh. <laughs> then there's the other one. And that's the way that you think you're in the right, but actually you're in the wrong. And sometimes those things can take years to get our heads around the fact that we do stuff wrong, even though we think we're absolutely in the right. When I was in my third year of university, I decided that I'd basically learn all I needed to learn. And I was going to cruise through my final semester by going to as few lectures as possible and just handing in essays, do the exams and get to the end of it all. I had better things to do in my life, like watch telly, so I didn't want to waste my time by going to lectures. And there was one particular module in particular I just didn't fancy. So I thought I'll give it a bit of a miss when the lectures start. I missed the first week. I missed the second week. I missed the third week. And I missed the fourth week. Then, by the way, students, don't copy my example. Then, up on our student board, our course board, was a sign that said, Will, Kyrion, James, Reese, come and see me. Now I was scared. So I started speaking to some of my mates in the course with me, and I said, have you seen that? I've got to go and see somebody. And they said, well, you haven't been going to lectures. Of course they want to see you. And of course... At that point, I decided to do the one thing I shouldn't have done, which was to come out fighting. Who are they to tell me I should be going to lecture? I can go by. I'm passing this course as it is. I'm doing all right. I'm paying my tuition fees. Let me do what I want to do. Who are they to say I've got to go and do this? I always remember one student who was on my course with me, and he's an older guy. His name was Simon. And Simon was a mature student, And actually, it was so good that he ended up being the course leader later on. Anyway, Simon just said to me, look, Pat, you've done wrong. You're going to get a row. Just take it on the chin. And it was the best bit of advice somebody would ever given me to that point. I had done wrong. As much as I wanted to fight it, I'd done something wrong. I was silly. I was arrogant. I was prideful. I was all of these things. I had done wrong. And I had to go and face the consequences. Reluctantly, I knocked on the door. And as it turned out, all was fine. And I didn't miss a single one of those lectures again. But the point of getting there was hard. Because I had to acknowledge that I wasn't perfect. And it was hard because I was doing all right. It wasn't one of these cases of I've clearly done something wrong. Though I had clearly done something wrong, I thought I was in the right And again, it comes down to that moment of humbling yourself. I wonder for how many years the brothers thought they had done right. How many years they thought it was the right thing to get rid of Joseph. How many of them have thought, we have done something that's not that bad. Heck, we could have killed him, couldn't we? But we didn't. We put him into slavery. Maybe he's all right. How many years did they justify their actions? before having to come to that point of acknowledging that they had done wrong. Sometimes, sorry really is the hardest word for us to say. And to say sorry to God can be a very difficult thing. But the good news is, the Lord forgives us. Which brings us back to Joseph and the hard thing that he had to do in return for these three hard things that they had to do. And that was, he forgave them. 
He helped them and he blessed them. And those are the three things that the Lord does to us as well when we come to him. He forgives us. When we're in need, he helps us. And when we worship him, he blesses us. And we don't deserve it. Those brothers didn't deserve the help of Joseph. By rights, Joseph should have turned around and said, no way, not happening, not on. But he didn't. And that is what the Lord does to us as well. And I really want to speak to those of us today who feel ourselves undeserving. Those who feel that we are beyond forgiveness. Those who feel like we're beyond help. Those who feel like we're beyond the blessing of the Lord. We are not. God isn't us. God is God. And God is gracious. And the Lord is always willing to forgive always willing to help, always willing to bless. And that's why taking communion tonight is going to be so powerful. Because as we take communion a little bit later on, we'll have the opportunity to come forward in worship, come forward in our adoration. We'll have the opportunity in our hearts to bring to the Lord the things that we need help with, And in that place of the breaking of bread, say, Lord, help me. We have the option to be blessed by him and to acknowledge that we are forgiven by him. Throughout the centuries, so many words have been written about what communion is, but really, simply, it's a place to meet with Jesus. Tonight, we have that opportunity to meet with Jesus. And we have the opportunity to go on the same journey that the brothers went on when they faced Joseph. And on that journey, acknowledge, worship, seek, be blessed, be forgiven. Come before the altar, come before the throne, come and be blessed by him. Let's pray. Father God, we do worship you, we do praise you, we do give you the glory, and we come to you this evening to acknowledge who you are to us. You are the true God, and we worship you, we glorify you. Lord, we acknowledge your goodness to us this evening. In this little part of the world, in this church, we take the opportunity to praise your name. And we praise your name for your goodness to us. And Lord, we come to you to seek your forgiveness. And Lord, we come to you knowing that we are sinners. And we give thanks that because of Jesus, your Son, we can be forgiven. And so in just the silence of our hearts now, let us say sorry to the Lord for the things that we need to say sorry for. Let us seek his forgiveness. Let us seek his pardon and peace. Let us picture those brothers coming to that place of redemption 
and let us seek it before the Lord. And as we seek that forgiveness, by the power of his spirit, let us receive his forgiveness as well. Let us receive his love. Let us receive his forgiving grace. Let us know that we are forgiven and the slate is wiped clean in heaven. We are justified, just as if it never happened. We are forgiven. And as we rejoice in the fact that we are forgiven, we lift to the Lord the places where we need help. Whether that's help for the world, help for the nation that is needed so much, help for this community, help for our places of work, our university, our school, the social circles where we work in, help for our homes and our families, help for our church and our church family, help for us as individuals. We lift it to the Lord now and we seek his help. Lord, we are pilgrims on a journey, making our way from one land to another, coming to you, reliant on you, seeking your help. As those brothers went to receive help, we come to receive your help now. So we pray that you would bless us now. Come and bless us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.